Are you thankful today for your salvation? Now, some of us, I think, who have been older, or are probably older, who, I don't know how old some of you were when you came to the Lord, how much you were involved with in your life, but I think the older you get and you look back and you see where the Lord has brought you from and where you could have been in your life today, sometimes that's distorted to us. You know, we think about our own desires and, we, you know, doing this and that and the other thing, but we could be so far away from the Lord today, it could be quite something. And you look at some of the people that you maybe grew up with uh, or were around in your youth, and you see where they've ended up, and you see where they are today. And you see how far away some are from the Lord. And to me, it makes me very thankful that the Lord came and even though there were times in my walk early on that I had difficulties and didn't understand certain things and, and wanted to go here and do this and do that, and the Lord uh, held me in, boxed me in, but I see the wisdom in that today, and I'm very, very thankful for that. Now, in Deuteronomy, turn to Joshua 22 to start off. I'll read a scripture from Deuteronomy. Joshua 22, Deuteronomy 26, verse 17, the, the Lord says to the Israelites, Today you, you have proclaimed the Lord to be your God. And that's a really good thing. And that, you, and that you will walk in his ways and keep his statutes. So the Lord is always interested in you as a Christian and myself as a Christian, walking in his ways. Uh, he will direct the path that you are to step and move in. He will come and show you of his ways. And as far as I can see from my personal experience, and even if you look in the scriptures and you look, look at it, the Lord would lay down certain uh, rules and statutes and what have you for them to follow. But where they would really learn his ways would be through the circumstances that they were in. So they were in the wilderness, they had to deal with certain things, even coming out of Egypt, uh, here comes the armies of Pharaoh and you know their back is to the sea. And in their personal circumstance, the Lord begins to reveal himself, or you could say he reveals his character or his attributes, how he responds and acts, and he shows that if we're willing to see, he opens that up for us to start to see in our personal situation, his ways, his attributes, and we will learn them, not all in one situation, we will have to go through different things at different times and we will see a certain aspect of God, maybe the way he acts or the way he would want, want to move in us and so on. And we'll begin to see him in a much different way. And so he says here that you will walk in his ways. Do you as a Christian, do I as a Christian want to walk in his ways? Well, there are Christians who may say, yes, I do. 
but their life or their manner of living does not line up with what they say. And you see that in the Old Testament where they say certain things. Yes, we will, we will. And the Lord says, no, you won't. You say it with your mouth, but your heart is far from me. In Joshua 22, verse 5, and this is uh, after they come into the land and the Lord, they've defeated certain armies and, and that are in the land, and the Lord uh, gives them rest. And so <clears throat> Joshua calls the different tribes, and then he says in verse 5, But take careful heed to do the commandment and the, and the law, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, to love the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways. Now, he adds one verse here that's not in Deuteronomy, and it is walk in all of his ways. Do you think it's possible for you as a Christian to walk in all the ways of God? It's not that we will walk in every single way that God has, but we can, I believe, according to what the Word says, we can walk in all the ways of God that He will reveal to you and I on a personal level. We can. If we couldn't, we may as well just throw in the towel now. But see, the Lord will work in your life and my life to reveal himself, and once there's a revelation, once we begin to see and understand in our situation, whatever it may be, we start to see his ways, how he is moving, then when we see that, we can acknowledge that by our heart, our desire, to walk in his ways, and not just in some of them. And the reason why Joshua says all of his ways is because some may be much easier for us to walk in than others. Some of the ways of the Lord will be difficult for us, and it doesn't matter your station in life. We will all have to decide whether we're going to walk in what the Lord is showing us of himself. And just knowing it and seeing it really is not enough. There is to be a reaching out to take that, acquiring that, and to bring that with, by the help of the, of the Holy Spirit, you know, with Christ, bringing that to us. And so... Our ways must change to His ways. And we were born into this world into sin. We were created with this sin nature, birth that way. And for us to break from that and move toward the Lord to acquire what He has provided and to start to move to see and to move in His ways will take a work of the Spirit of God in your life and in my life 
And it will take a willingness and a surrender to him when something comes that we do not like, that's distasteful. And what you acquire from God, what you have at the end of your Christian walk of his character, of his attributes, will be based upon your response to the Lord in things that you would rather not deal with, that you would not like, that you do not want to go forward in. And that becomes for you your salvation. Not that we're not talking about being saved or not being saved. I'm talking about where you go, how far you go in God, all of that will be determined greatly by whether we will continue to walk in something that we do not like. And the greatest benefit in my life that the Lord has brought has been through those times when the Lord, see, He knows your heart, but when He knew that that was the last thing on earth that I wanted to do, the very last thing. I said, anything, and I prayed that. I said, Lord, anything but that, anything. I'll, I'll go where you want to go. I'll do what you want to do, but not this. But nevertheless, not my will but thine be done. You know, we hear that prayer. We, you know, Jesus prayed that prayer. And that is so applicable to us. If we're going to go in a place with the Lord that he desires all Christians to, to move into and to mature in. And so the Lord will work in your situation to conform you. Now go to Romans 8. Very familiar portion of scriptures. See, he wants to conform your ways into his ways, and he wants us to be conformed into him. Now in Romans 8, we know this verse. Verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. So the Lord determined beforehand that he wants you to be conformed into the image of his Son. We all know that. But what is going to be the method by which that occurs in your life and in my life. See, what, how is he going to do that? Well, if you want that answer, you read the verse before this, and you will see the answer to, how is the Lord going to conform you and I into the image of Jesus Christ? And we know that all things work together for good. So he's going to use, the means he's going to use are the all things that we see in verse 29. And see, the all things, first of all, are only going to work together for your good if you are dedicated to the Lord. 
the Christian who is not dedicated to the Lord will go through situations and circumstances, and they will go through a lot of different things, but they will not work for their good. Now, I'm not making this up. This is what it says. You can read it. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are dedicated to Him. And so the all things will encompass your entire life and every circumstance you have ever been in as a Christian. That's the all things. Everything that comes to you personally in your life, all that touches you, all that encroaches on our little world, they are all the all things that Paul is talking about. And we all would love to be selective when it comes to the all things. There are certain things of the all things that we would rather not have to deal with. We would rather not have them come into our little world. But because the Lord's love is such to you that He wants His best for you, He wants that of His character, His attributes in you. And in order for Him to do that, it's going to take all the things that come into our lives. All those things that we don't like, too. That the Lord says, this particular thing here, as I bring that into the, to your life, is going to bring you to the place where you are either going to say, I am going to go forward or I'm just going to quit. It will bring us to a place of either we are going to surrender wholly in it or we're going to go our own way away from it. And I believe that that's a constant for every Christian. It doesn't matter... Uh, your walk of life, or what you do in the church makes no difference. You will all, we will all, have to face the all things the Lord brings. Now in Isaiah, turn to Isaiah 45. Have you ever wondered why? <laughs> why? As a Christian, why? When things come our way, why that, Lord? Why, as over the years, the certain individual that I worked close with, we had a certain individual would come, and they were so difficult to deal with. And we were glad when they left. And then the next one came, and the, the next one was worse. And we said, geez, this is... And I, I was watching this, and I was thinking, well, the Lord was looking for my response to the individual on a personal level. Regardless of what anybody else does, how is my heart toward them? And I went through that for a while, and then they left. And I said, oh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Probably shouldn't have, but I was thankful because now I didn't have to deal with that individual anymore. And then he brought someone that was, was worse than both of the other two people before why, Lord? Why? Why do you do these things? 
well, you know, there are certain things that he wants to do in our heart and our life. And we may sit here in church and say, yes, yes, Lord, work. But when it comes to experiencing these things, to where they're close to us and they come in and they intrude on our world, then it becomes something quite different. It becomes difficult for us to deal with. And so we have to now draw upon the Lord Jesus Christ and his long-suffering and his gentleness and his meekness because we know, we see that in and of ourselves, we do not possess what is needed to be Christ-like in the situation. And the situations come. And you'll find out who you are. And you'll find out how much you need him. And that's what he wants to do. See, if I had the ability, if you had the ability to do things on your own, then why would we need God? So he comes and shows us that we don't, which is a good thing, so that we can turn away from ourselves and turn away from our view of the problem to him. See, now when we do that, that's a very, very important step because now we can draw upon the one who is able to do whatever needs to be done in us. Now, in Isaiah 45, verse 9, Woe to him who strives with his maker. Now, there are Christians, we're not talking about the unsaved, when you, you look at the book of Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel, what the Lord is dealing with mainly, except for some chapters, but mainly he's dealing with the people of God. And the Israelites were noted for their rebellion and being stiff-necked. That was their characteristic. The Lord wanted to change that characteristic but for the most part, generation after generation had that, and there was never a breaking of that curse because the people decided to serve other gods and so on. But when he says here, woe to him who strives with his maker, Isaiah's pointing to them in, in what he's saying here. He's talking about the heart of man in the heart of God's people. And if you think for one minute that you're above that verse, striving with your maker, then the Lord may show you that you need to be pressed into a place where you come to the end. <laughs> you say, okay, Lord, I will not strive with you any longer but I will surrender to you. That's, that's a great place to come to. It's not an easy place for us to come to because we always want to exercise our will in things. But the Lord, it's, it's so nice how he does things. 
He will come and He will impose His will over yours, and you surrender to that thing. And in the surrendering, the work of the Spirit takes place in you. Never could happen any other way. It could never happen by you doing what you want to do in your situation, you uh, striving with your maker, you striving in, you know, Lord, I, I'd rather do this. And sometimes we don't even voice that, but it's there in our heart, and it's moving there. We never voice it, but it's still moving. We want to go another way. And, and we're looking for any other way we could go than that way, Lord. But the Lord will confine us, put us in, so to speak, a box, not to punish us, not because he doesn't love us, it's quite the opposite, it's because he does love us, and he wants to do something in us to replace what's there with something of his character. So verse 9, Woe to him who strives with his maker, a worthless piece of broken pottery among other pieces equally worthless, and yet presuming to strive with his maker. Shall the clay say to him who fashions it, what do you think you're making? Or your work has no handles. So this becomes not necessarily something that's voiced with the mouth, but it becomes something that is moving in the heart and out from the heart. And in Romans, I'll read Romans 9 for you. Because Paul re refers to these verses in Romans 9, 20. But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, Why have you made me this? Why did you make me like this? And he's not talking necessarily about our physical uh, appearance, although that can apply. Have you ever said to the Lord, Lord, why do I have to deal with this thing in my heart? Why do I have to deal with this thing? You know, maybe uh, because of your upbringing, something was, was put in your heart, and now, as a Christian, you don't like it, but it's a part of, of your nature, and it's so ingrained. It's like, it's like cancer that's in the body, and it's entwined itself amongst all the organs. How in the world do you get that out? And there's things in our nature that are just entwined there. And it's, it's so far beyond us, we can't remove that. See, the best surgeon cannot take that out. But the surgeon that we serve, he can do it. He can surgically remove that. And he will work in our life to take that which is entwined in our heart and spirit that we don't even, we don't like it. We don't want it there. But yet, because he is who he is, and we are surrendered under his will, he can get in there and start to take this thing apart and get it out of the way. And that is quite a work of the Spirit, quite a work. Things that I am totally incapable of doing 
as far as removing in my personal life because it's there. I'm helpless. I can't do anything but look to the Lord, trust Him, and wait. But He is so good and so faithful, He will bring us in or bring me into a situation, and in that situation are all the tools He needs to do the work. You say, well, but I can't stand this situation. So what? You think you're the only Christian that's ever been in a, a situation that you didn't like? I believe we all should be or have been or will be. But remember, that's kind of like the, the spiritual operating place, the operating room. And we're looking at the situation, and we're stuck in that thing, and that's all we see. We don't see the Lord. We're not as surrendered sometimes as we may think we are. And the Lord will wait and wait and wait, bringing all these things to bear. It is amazing how the Lord can arrange circumstances. Amazing. Not only that, but it's amazing to see what he starts to do in the situation. Now, it's, it's nice to hear these things. But as I said before, when the rubber meets the road, then we get all shook up, don't we? But we needn't. So verse 10, and it's still in Isaiah 45, verse 10. Listen to this. Woe to him who complains against his parents that they have, that they have begotten him. Did you understand what he's saying? Let me read this from Jonah. Turn to, turn to Jonah. Hold your place here. Just go to Jonah real quick. Daniel, Joel, Amos, Jonah. Jonah chapter uh, 4. So Isaiah says of, of the people, okay, why are you going back and forth with God, you know, and, and, and striving against your maker? And you're saying, woe to him who complains against his parents that they have begotten him, that they've, that they've birthed him. Have you ever heard somebody say, I never wish I was born? Maybe you or I, in a situation, were so overwhelmed and pressed that we even said, I wish I was never born. In Jonah 4, verse 3, Therefore now, O Lord, Please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Now, why did Jonah say that? See, you can come to a situation that is so overwhelming, that you're, and maybe you haven't, but you will, that you want to give up. And we will give up, 
if our eyes are only on the situation, if, if we can't in spirit allow the Lord to take our eyes off of that to him, then we will give up because life becomes overwhelming sometimes. I don't care who you are. You can see people in the world are overwhelmed. And as a Christian, you have the Lord, but life can be overwhelming. You must turn to him and see him and continue on with him. The reason Jonah says this uh, is found in verse 2. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord God, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I, I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Jonah has had probably some experience with the Ninevites. And of course, if you look at the background and you actually study this, you will find that these people were barbaric people and, and they, they would kill and maim and rape and torture the people that they, that they would conquer. They were barbaric. And something touched the life of Jonah for him not to even want to go there because he knew God was calling them to repentance and he did not want to see them repent because of whatever, whatever it was that he, you know, knew or, or how that touched him, I, I don't know, but something there. And so he says, I don't want to see them repent. That's why he didn't go to begin with. That's why he fled, ended up in the, the belly of the fish. And so he says, I, I, didn't I say this in the beginning? I did not want to go. That's why I fled to Tarshish, because you're a gracious God. You're a merciful and loving kind, kindness. Now I want to just die. So in Isaiah, woe to him who complains against his parents that, that they have begotten him, who say to a father, what are you begetting? Or to a woman, with what are you in travail? So you have the potter and you have the clay. There can be interaction, interaction between the potter and the clay, but not have relationship. See, because there's interaction, does not mean that there's relationship. Jonah, at this time, is interacting with God. See, he's, he's the potter, Jonah's the clay, he's trying to form, there's an interaction. When you take uh, the clay and you start to move it, there's an interaction. But that does not mean that the clay is what it should be, it's not formed. It's, that does not mean that the clay is of a type that can be formed correctly. And so, there can be interaction, but still not have relationships. So I can interact with God in my situation, in my circumstances, and not have relationship in what he's doing. Just have the interaction, if you understand. And so the Lord's dealing with me, and, you know, I'm doing this way and this way. Not surrendering, and there's an interaction, but still... The Lord is after the relationship, and, and with Jonah, that was missing. 
the only book of the Bible that ends abruptly. Now, whether, whether the Lord got through to Joan eventually or not, I don't know. I often wonder why it ends so abruptly. Probably because there was nothing more to say as far as his relationship with the Lord. He may have stayed in that thing, that, you know, hardness that I don't want them to repent. I don't want to see them have life. I don't want them included in the promises of God being part of the Jews' religion. I don't want that. So there was something that touched his heart. And there will be things that touch my heart and your heart. But will they cause in us a heart attitude that is very, very destructive to us. In Revelation, and we'll, we'll turn there, chapter 3, the church, which I would ever want to lay to see, I don't remember. But the Lord goes to, through, through John, goes uh, through and has the message for the, the pastor, and he says that you are poor, miserable, naked, and blind. And so they thought that everything was okay as far as their spirituality. And the Lord comes and he shows them, reveals to them, that they are not where they are to be as believers. I like the Lord when he does that because it shows me where I lack, and it shows me he cares about me so that he can put me where I need to be and I can walk where he wants me to walk. Now, in Jeremiah, I'll just read this because we're running out of time. Jeremiah says, O house of Israel, can I not do <clears throat> as this potter, says the Lord? Uh, look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. So, can I do what I want? The Lord creates the universe. Nobody says anything to him. He does what he wants. But sometimes when it comes to our lives, on a personal level, we have input when we shouldn't have input. But, you know, the Lord... He's gracious. He knows what we're made of. You know, it would be nice if we could just shake the head, yes, Lord, regardless of how we're feeling in here. And I think the Lord wants to bring us that, to that place. That if he's showing us something and you know, this is how you're to be moving and I want you to move into this, and instead of us saying, no, I don't want to do that, and so on, if we would just shake the head and surrender. Yes, Lord. Not what I want, but you want. In um, Isaiah 64, now if you look in Isaiah 64, he's, you don't have to turn there. Isaiah lays before the people this prayer that, if you will, he wants them to follow in. In one verse, in, in verse 8, it says, But now, O Lord, you are our Father, we are the clay, you are our potter, and all we are the work of your hand. So the difference here in this verse than in the other verses uh, where you, you have this potter clay thing is that you see 
the use of the word father, you are our father and you are our potter. So there's an acknowledgement there that, okay, you are the one now, or, or you could say there is this prayer of Isaiah that he wants them to surrender to the Lord as the father and the potter, as a nation and individually. So the potter, as we know, uses many methods. And you can go through the scriptures. You can see it in James, um, the trying of your faith. Job, you can see in Job, Job says that when I am tried or when I am tested, I shall come forth as pure gold. I shall come forth. I'm going to come out of the oven, if you will, just like the potter in the clay. Clay comes out of the oven. When I am, am tried, when I am tested, I shall come forth as pure gold. And the reason he could say that is because Job was surrendered to the Lord in his personal situation. You look at the life of Job. I, I, I look at that sometimes and say, gee, have you ever wondered, could we as Christians endure what he, he endured and still have a heart like that? Still be surrendered? Could we as Christians, looking in Corinthians, where Paul lists the different things he suffered for the Lord, different things he suffered for the gospel, could we endure some of the same things and have the same heart and have the same surrender? Well, the Lord knows. He looks at you right today. And he sees your heart. And he knows where you are. And he knows how much you can take. And so the trial, the test, whatever it may be that comes, will be tailored to what he sees in you, in your spirit. So he knows certain things would totally overwhelm you. And you would just turn aside. See, what you are enduring today or what you deal with today, maybe you've dealt with it before time and time again. But you are stronger today as a Christian. You have walked with God for a long time. And you have, whether you believe it or not, you have in you, of the work of the Spirit, what Christ has done that will enable you to walk in the test successfully, and come out of it successfully. So he, he's pretty good. You know, he will not tempt you above your able. So he sees in your spirit where you are. And he will bring that which is tailored to your spiritual development today. He's not going to test you in something far, far, far above that you don't have the capacity to, to even pass the test in, to function in, no matter what. So he brings us along a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, which is so gracious, it's so good. You know, I've faced things over the last few years that I never faced years ago, never. And I could see his ways in them, but that's the first step, that, that's not the whole thing. It's a great advantage. But that's not the whole thing. The whole thing starts whenever you see it, then you're, you're surrendering to him, you have your eyes on the Lord, 
and then he continues to work in your life through it. So there, I believe this, that there are things the Lord can do in our personal circumstances, in our lives, that he could never do apart from them. Now, some people may not believe that, but I do. Now, why am I, are you in a situation you are today or last week or, or even coming up in the next year or so? Why? Do you think that these situations and circumstances are of no value? Do you think that the Lord can't do anything in them? So they're all for a reason. They're the all things. <coughs> Excuse me. In um, just a couple more verses. In 1 John 3, 8. Let's look at that for a minute. As I said before, we were born into this world with a sinful, carnal nature. And you, you can see that with, with a child. You don't have to tell them to do wrong. It's the opposite. You always have to tell them to do the right thing. You're always correcting them. You know, that just testifies to us that that's the bent of the spirit of man at birth. We're, we're born with that carnal nature. And so that is there within. And there are things contained in the carnal nature that we may not be aware of. The longer, excuse me, the longer an individual walks in their life, functioning in the world with that nature, the more entwined and grained, uh, the more difficult it is for the Lord to get through them. That's why some people that are older are it's just like you cannot get through to them. Younger people sometimes, they can be preteens or teens, they're more receptive to the gospel. Sometimes when people get older, they are not at all receptive in any way to the gospel. And that nature has been so entwined in, in their being that, you know, it, it has them bound. And so the longer you walk in that way, the more work the Lord would have to do to remove that. Now, I'm not talking about that the Lord can't save you. Initially, we are saved but there are remnants of the carnal nature and how we operated, how we thought, and so forth that continue on. That's why you, the Lord says you need to have your minds renewed and so on. Th th these things are worked upon by the Lord, your sanctification, over a process of time. And so in John 3, 8... He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of Man was manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And in the world today, the works of the devil are quite 
obvious and quite apparent, and it seems as though they are just flourishing. The works of the devil, there's other meanings of this too that we're not going to look at, but the works that the devil, of the devil that the Lord is interested in destroying in a Christian is that remnants of your carnal nature that want to arise and take us another way. And so the Lord, because we were born with that, he knows, he, he knows the work that has to be done. And so there we are, we're, we're saved, we're Christian, we have, we have the new spirit, a new heart, but yet we can always move back to the flesh. We can always move back to this place where we start to move and function in the carnal nature again. See, we're not above that. And so the, the Lord looks at that and he says, I have come to destroy the works of the devil. So to get down to, to what's going on within you or, you or I in our spirit, he will bring circumstances to bear so that we thought that everything was just fine and we're walking along and there's no problem, we're serving the Lord. And, and all of a sudden, we are hard-pressed by a situation and that situation brings something up in us that we thought was gone. Now, am I speaking to myself about myself? Or has this ever happened to anyone else? I suspect it has. So here something comes up. We say, no, where did that come from? I'm, I'm, saying, I'm, I'm supposed to be a Christian, and now look at this. Well, the pressure is put there on your, your circumstance to show you what is in you so that now you're turning to the Lord. He can destroy the works of the devil that were there. And not that there's no demon in you or anything. Some people, you know, they think differently. But to destroy some of, of the remnants or the roots that are still laying in there under the surface of the carnal nature. And he wants to get in there and take care of some of these things. So he uses what he wants to use. He gets that big lump of clay that we are, and he gets his hands, and he goes, Rah! squeeze it. And there we go, we pop up. Ah, what are you doing, Lord? Well, I want to conform you or form you into that which you are not now. And he's very, very good at, at doing that. And Peter, and we'll close with this, Peter says that we are called to glory and what? Glory and virtue. We're called. And then the next verse, he says that we are to be partakers of the divine nature. See, that's our calling. We're called to glory, not to heaven, but the glory of God in us, like Paul says. We're called to glory and virtue, or the character, conformity to Christ, to his image. We're called to that. 
and we are to be partakers of the divine nature. And of course, you began at initial salvation to become a partaker, but that's not the end of it. Peter is not talking about initial salvation. He's talking about where we are today in our life and the heart that will bring us to a place where daily as we walk with him, we can partake of his nature in uh, the molding, in the process. And so be encouraged today that the Lord knows what he's doing and the Lord will work in your life to accomplish things that you never would dream possible he could do. So as you walk with him, if you're in a situation or you come into a situation in the future that is really, really, really overwhelming, you need to remember to look away from that. You can acknowledge it's the reality. There's a situation. You're not denying the reality of it. But what you are doing is you're looking to Jesus, who is the one who has life, and he can work as the potter works upon the clay in that. Thank you.